happy early Thanksgiving to all of you. I'm going to start my message. I want to, I want to tell you a joke this morning. It's a joke about vegetables. Hold on. It's really corny. Where's, where's Jeremy with my boom boom? <laughs> He's like, he wouldn't even do that. He'd throw, throw a stick at me. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Um, during worship this morning, I, <laughs> so I have my message written and... Um, and then during worship, the Lord spoke to me and, um, and said, you lived out your message this week. And I'll tell you, I'll, uh, if I remember, I'll, I'll tell you the story. God um, brought a little bit of correction in my heart this week after I, had a, after I had a few meetings and I started to go a little bit sideways in some of the things that I was, um, you know, considering vision-wise and stuff like that. Um, but God reminded me in worship. He said, hey, you're speaking on this today. What would you say if God showed up and started speaking to you and he told you that he would give you everything that has ever been prophesied over your life, that he would give you everything that has ever been promised to you right now, no wait, no delay, every dream that you've got in your heart, he'd make it happen. Every miracle that you've been asking for, praying for, contending for, it would take place right now. The only caveat is that he wouldn't be a part of it. He'd send angels to be with you, but he would not be with you. Would you do it? See, we all know, we, we all know the right answer. That's the right answer. We, we all know that, that what we should say is no, I wouldn't take it. But I want us to really search our hearts today. I want us to really take some time to think through that proposition. Really think it through to, and, and apply it to your life. Don't think general, think, think me. That life-changing miracle that you've been praying for that would absolutely change your life. Done. The financial breakthrough that you've been praying for, the house to live in, the reliable car to drive, your debt paid off. Done. Look around the room. Every seat filled on the main floor and in the balcony. Every seat on Sunday mornings filled. Done. That new church building that we've been talking about, that new church building that we've been praying for. Done. It's ours. The new job. The new business opportunity. That position of influence that you've longed to have yours. No more waiting. It's all yours, but he's not in it. Look at Exodus 33 in verse 1. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought from the land of Egypt, and go to the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the, the uh, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land of abundance flowing with milk and honey. 
for I will not go up in your midst because you are a stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious people, and I might destroy you on the way. So the back, here's, here's the backstory of how we got to Exodus chapter 33 and verse 1. Here's the backstory. Moses had gone up to the mountain to, to meet with God, and God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And he was up on the mountain, and he'd been gone a long time, and the people began to get restless. And they began to say to Moses' brother Aaron, we don't know what's happened to this Moses guy. Where did, the, where did this Moses fellow go off to? Maybe he's never coming back. So we're, we're, we, we don't know what's happened to him. So who, Aaron, who's going to go before us? Who's, who's going to lead us? What God is there that will go before us? And so Aaron said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I want you to give me all of your earrings and all of your necklaces and, and all your rings. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to melt it down and I will make a God for you. And so he makes this golden calf. And he proclaims, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. It's funny, it didn't look like anything that led them up out of Egypt. But here's this, this golden calf. And actually what's, what's really quite, quite humorous is when he's confronted about what he's done in, in, another, in another passage, he goes, I don't know what happened. I just threw the, the, all the gold in and boom, out came this golden calf. <laughs> like, No, he fashioned it. So up on the mountain, Moses is meeting with God. And God says to Moses, hey, you need to go back down to those people because they've turned away from me. And they've made an idol and they began to serve an idol and they are, they are, um, they are acting shamefully and without morals. And God, at this point, he was fed up and he was done and finished with the Israelites. And so then in, that, that's how we get to Exodus 33 and we read verses 1 through 3. And in that passage, we read God telling Moses that they can have all that he's promised them. He tells them, you go, you want all the people, you go into the, into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey and abundance, the land that I promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. You go up into it and you go now. All the enemies, they will all be removed. They will be cleared out from the land. A forever home. They've been slaves in a foreign nation for hundreds of years. Now they're going to have a forever home. He just says to them, I'm not going with you because I just might kill you all along the way. You might not know this about me, but I'm a problem solver. So if you come to me with an issue, I will solve it. I'll tell you really quick. I'll tell you right quick exactly what you should do. Well, this is what you need to do. This is the conversation you need to have. This is how you need to have it. And this is what you need to say. Take, get, get, get a notepad out and take some notes because I'm going to tell you how to fix it. And I'll send you on your way. No worries. Even if you just come to me and you're just, you're just, I'm just, you're just sharing, you're venting, you've got a little bit of a, yeah, yeah, I just need someone to share this with. That's okay. I'll fix that problem for you anyway. Get out a piece of paper and a pen and I'm going to tell you how to handle it. People don't always want me to fix their problems. Who knew? <laughs> Not me. I thought that's what God put me on this planet for, was to fix people's problems. When I started to realize that not everybody wanted me to fix their problems, it, it forced me to grow and to learn that sometimes people are just sharing. Sometimes Renee is just sharing with me things that are happening in her life. She's, this, this is relationships. She shares. She's just sharing about situations and things, and she does not want me to tell her how to fix it. It's a lesson I've learned over 23 years, Uncle Fred. 
So if you're new in your, in your relationship or you're not quite married yet, write that down. Sometimes your spouse will just share things with you. They just want to share it. Do not try and fix the problem. Same with your children. <laughs> had a conversation with Faith the other day, literally last night. And she's like, I don't need you to fix the problem. I'm like, I'm... <laughs> you might not also know this, but I am a conflict solver. Some people hate conflict. Some people like fear conflict. I don't hate conflict. I don't fear conflict. I, you know, like sometimes I seek conflict out. And I don't start it, but like I'll seek it out and I will, I will fix it. I will solve it. You know the saying, pick your battles? I pick my battles. I pick them all. <laughs> like, like, what do you mean pick your battles? They're all there. Isn't that what they're there for? They're there to be fought? It didn't matter if they involved me or not. I'd still pick them. Free Jesus in my life that got me into some trouble, picking other people's battles. When Josiah and Faith were little, for example, they'd be arguing about something small, no big deal, you know, on the other end of the house. And Renee and I would be sitting on the absolute other end of the house, and we'd be having a conversation. And I can hear them in the background arguing. And they're just like at each other. And I'm like, I get up, I, I would get up, and I would leave the conversation, and I would go to the back of the house to solve the conflict, to bring a resolution of it. I am a peacemaker. Thankfully, for everyone's sake, I've grown. I still twitch a little bit when, I, when there's conflict and I can hear it going on. I, like, I, I, but I've, I've grown in self-control and I can restrain myself to not engage every conflict every time. The Israelites had a problem, and the Israelites had a conflict. The problem is that they turned their back on God. The conflict, it was with God. Listen, this is not a situation that you want to find yourself in where your conflict and your problem are both God. And God was going to fix the problem. He was going to solve the conflict. He was telling them, you people get out of my presence or somebody's going to get hurt. Have you ever heard if you ever heard somebody say that somebody's going to get hurt it's usually not the person saying it God's saying to the Israelites listen somebody's going to get hurt and they knew it wasn't going to be him so they're like get out of my presence now turn um, same chapter Exodus 33 and we're going to read verse verses 12 to 16 So Moses said to the Lord see you say to me bring this people up but you have not let me know whom you will send with me Yet you have said, I know you by name, and I've also found favor, you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways so that I may know you, becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, recognizing and understanding your ways more clearly, and that I may find grace and favor in your sight. And consider also that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence shall go with you. And I will give you rest by bringing you and the people into the promised land. And Moses said to him, if your, pro if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that your people and I have found favor in your sight? Is it not by your going with us that we are distinguished, your people and I, from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have asked for, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you personally by name. 
In verse 13, Moses makes this incredible statement, this profound statement. He says, let me know your ways that I may know you. We have to follow the ways of the Lord to find the face of the Lord. See, it's not just enough to know about him. There's far too many people in our day and age, in our culture, in our society that know about Jesus. They know about God, but they do not know him. Too often in the church, we have settled for knowing the ways of God, but stopped short of following the ways of God to find the face of God. It's not just about knowing how he moves and how he operates and the things that he does, the things that he likes and the things that he doesn't like. We have to follow those until we find his face. I've said, you've heard me say it before. We, we don't read the Bible to learn about God. We read the Bible to encounter God. We read the Bible to encounter the author. Not just to get knowledge about him, but it's to know him personally. I don't just want to know about God. I want to know him. Knowing his ways will open up access for you to experience the power of God. But it doesn't mean that if the power of God is present, and even say the power of God is flowing through your life, it does not mean that you know him. It just means you know his ways. See, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, speaking of the end times and speaking of the judgment day, says this. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And we perform many miracles in your name. Now, if we see that today, we, and it's, it's like human nature. We look at that and we're like, they know Jesus. They knew all the things I've done in my life that nobody else had done. They perform miracles. They're casting out demons. They are clearly close with the Lord. But Jesus goes on. He says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. Knowing his ways is not the same as knowing him. Because I can know his ways. I can see miracles happen. I can, I can prophesy. I can see people set free from, from demonic possession. All without actually knowing Jesus. Because there is power in his name. And he honors his name and his word. So we follow the, face, the, the, the ways of God to the face of God. Where there's relationship with God. I've got to ask myself. You have to ask him. Do, do I? Do you? Do we? know him or do we just know about him so god responds to the desire of moses heart and he says i, I want to know your ways that i might know you he responds to this desire and he he decides that he'll go with moses into the promised land the people will still will inherit the land they'll take possession of all that god had promised them an angel would be with the people but god was going to be with moses and then we, in the story, then we, we, get a, we get a window into the heart of people who live in an intimate relationship with God. Because this is Moses. Moses here, Moses had everything, right? He had God and he was getting the promised land. The people just getting the promised land with an angel clearing out the, the, you know, all, all of the enemies. But, but Moses had God. He had all that he could have ever wanted. But his heart was not just for himself. His heart for, was, was for the nation, for the people who were not experiencing the presence of God like he was. 
So Moses is in this place of prayer and intercession, right? He's having a conversation with God, which, you know, if you, that's, that's, that's base prayer. Prayer is just talking with the Lord. It's not eloquent speech. It's not all that stuff. Prayer is having a conversation with God where, where I speak and then he speaks and we, it goes back and forth. So Moses is praying. He's in this place of prayer and intercession on behalf of the Israelites. He's talking with God. And then he begins to ask God for what's already in God's heart, which really is the key to prayer. You discover what's in God's heart and you start asking for that. You start saying, yes, God, I see that in your heart. Yes, do that. And this is, he, he starts to ask what's already in God's heart because God wants people to know him. He wants to know people. He wants to have relationship with people. He does not want to hold people you know, like at arm's length. He wants to bring them in close. He's looking for family. He's looking for relationship. He wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Everyone. So Moses prays. He says, God, if you're not with us, then don't send us up from here. Moses interceded for the entire nation out of a place of relationship and intimacy with the Lord. He knew God. He was close with God. And from that place of relationship, he started interceding for the entire nation so that the entire nation could be brought into that intimate knowledge of God's presence to encounter and experience and know him. See, it's one thing for us to experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in revival. But the, the heart of God is not just for the people of God. His heart is for all people. And we, you and I, we must be the ones that are interceding and praying for people that don't know God. So that they can encounter Him so that they can see and experience and know him like we know him, like a father, like a friend, like a brother. That's how we're supposed to know him. We must, we must take the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We must take the revival that we're experiencing and encountering here. We must take it outside of the building. It cannot just stay in here. It was never meant to be just for church services. See, revival's not about great services. It's meant to transform society. It's meant to touch and impact all people. And it can't do that if we keep it in here. I heard a pastor of a church who was experiencing genuine, like, sustained revival. Incredible things were taking place. I heard him tell this story. And they had a roadrunner, you know, the little bird, not from the cartoon, but they had a roadrunner get into their church building and they couldn't get it out. And for, you know, several days, there's this roadrunner running around in the building and different staff members would see it at different times. They'd walk into a room and the, the, the roadrunner would be there and they couldn't catch it. They couldn't capture it. They couldn't get it out. And it would just, and then it was gone. And then one day, the staff member comes around the, the corner and he goes into, into a room and there's a room with, with, with large windows. And the roadrunner's in the middle of the room, and it's staring at the windows. It's looking outside. And the staff member is just watching it to see where it's going to go, and you know, it's going to be able to, to capture it. And then all of a sudden, the roadrunner starts running as fast as it can, straight towards the windows. Boom! 
smashes into the windows and dies. I know. And the pastor said the Lord spoke to him in that moment. He said, if you keep revival in the building, it will die. Revival must impact society and the people that do not know Jesus. Moses and the Israelites could have had it all. God was giving them, this this is a blank check. Everything that they had been promised to them, it was theirs. They would just not have him. But what does it matter if we get all the stuff, but we don't have the presence of Jesus? See, it's the presence of Jesus that sets us apart from every other people on the face of the planet. It's the presence of Jesus. That's what sets us apart from every other religion. It's the presence of God. It's the distinguishing factor. It marks us. It sets us apart. Don't settle for the promise without the promise maker. See, because if God's not in it, I don't want it. It doesn't matter what it is, and it doesn't matter how amazing it is. It's not the same without the presence of Jesus. I'll tell you right now, I give up everything for his presence. See, we, we, we do pray regularly, consistently, that every seat would be filled. During, this, during the week, I walked through and I laid hands on every single chair on the main floor, in the auditorium, and I prayed for every person that would sit there, and I prayed that God would fill every chair. But if every seat is filled, but God's not in it, then I don't want it. We're dreaming of, we're, we're planning for a new building. Design details are coming soon. It's going to be beautiful, it's going to be amazing, it's going to be incredible. God's not in it, but I don't want it. We could have city influence and impact, making like real positive changes for our community and for people who are who are vulnerable and who are hurting. We could do that. But if God's not in it, I don't want it. So listen, you might be sitting there thinking, like, if we saw all of those things, then clearly, clearly God would be in it. But would he? Jesus, look at the miracles we've done. Look at the prophetic words that we've given. Look at the, 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 the demons cast out of people. I never knew. Jesus wasn't in it. They saw all those things that we would all point to, me included. We would all point to and say, wow, Jesus is in that. They know him. Didn't Jesus also say, apart from me, you can do nothing? He did. But look, if you, if you, if you look around, you see plenty of incredible organizations that are doing amazing things. Right? You, see, you see huge buildings that are awesome, beautiful, crowds of people. You see all these things, great nonprofits that are doing awesome things in our, like locally and, and globally, but nothing of lasting eternal value. See, we can do lots without Jesus, just nothing that lasts. 
just nothing that truly means anything. And that's what he was talking about. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing that has eternal significant value. Nothing. See, the cry of our lives, the cry of our hearts must be all I want is you. Like we sang it last week, all I want is you. In our church, in all that we're hoping for, all that we're praying for, all that we're contending for, all the things that we're doing, underscoring it all, the foundation of it all is this. All I want is you, Jesus. In my personal life, in your personal life, all that we're working towards, owning a home, saving for retirement, giving our children educational opportunities, opportunities to, to, to make friends and to grow and, 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 and for sports. And, and we're, you know, we're trying to make ends meet. Some of us, you know, we're starting families. We're making friends. We're pursuing a new job or, or a promotion. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's, they're like, there's, there's everything right with those things because God wants us to have a blessed life. In fact, the life that he's got planned for you is better than the life that you could ever dream up for yourself. foundation of it all has to be a cry. Jesus, all I want is you. Because without him, what does it matter? Jesus is what gives meaning to life. Like if you've got all the stuff, if you look, if you just take a personal assessment of your life and you're like, I've got a good job, saving for retirement, I've got a house, I've got a car, you know, I've got all, I've got all this stuff. I don't have peace. I don't have contentment. I feel like I'm striving and like I'm always chasing something, but I can never quite grab it. I can never quite lay my hands on it and, and, and hold on to it. And those are all signs of a life built apart from Jesus. Can I get someone to come and play on the, the keys or the guitar for me? These are good things, and there are good things that will come your way. But not all good things that come our way are God things. They may look amazing. They could be incredible opportunities. They could come with, with great financial gain, influence, notoriety. But is he in it? Because if God's not in it, then I don't want it. There was a family that attended a, a church. We weren't in ministry. We were just attending a church, but there's a, a family that attended this church within the city. And uh, the husband took a, a job, great financial opportunity, but it was really, they had to move within the city really far from the church. And so it was just not feasible for them to continue attending that church. And they've been going there quite a while. And so they took the job, they made the moves, great financial prosperity position for them. They were doing really, really well financially. But they never quite really connected in with another church. They would take their kids and they would, they would try out other churches and they just never found that place that they felt like, ah, this feels like home. This, this feels like my people. Which if you're looking for a church, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a place where you feel like I'm home. Like these could be my, these could be my people. They can know me. I can know them. We can do some life together. They never quite found that. And then their kids grew and grew, became teenagers, grew disinterested with the Lord. And eventually 
fell away. And the family fell into really, really hard times. In hindsight, was it worth it? Was he in it? Because it seems like the fruit of it would say that he wasn't in it. had a couple meetings this week. Uh, one, I was seeking some advice from a, from, from a pastor who's much, much older than I am. He's semi-retired. He's, he's 70. I had some questions, just some things I was seeking some advice on. And we were meeting, and, and then he started, this is, like, this is me, I would, I, would, I would do this. He started giving me advice on things that I wasn't asking about, which is good. I told him, I'm like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll hear it. So he was, he was saying like, hey, if I was building a church, this is, this is what I would do today. And he was giving me all these statistics and real strategy. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. And then I had another, I had another meeting with someone. And they were, you know, hey, what's your, what's your strategy for outreach? And like, there, it was all this stuff. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I started, started thinking. <laughs> I started thinking. These man-made strategies. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. We should do that. Yeah, we should do that. And then I started wrestling, and I was sharing with Renee, and I had this this inner turmoil, and I felt like, you know, I'm this. I'm, honestly, I felt like, oh, I felt I felt a little insecure, like like I didn't like, man, I don't, maybe maybe we're not maybe we're not doing enough. Maybe we should just do more stuff. Maybe we should have more programs. Maybe we should we should focus more on this area or, or ha- have have more outreach. Right? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. And I, but I was wrestling, and I was really not at rest or peace. And I realized, as Renee and I talked it out, God's not in it for us. He's, he's in it for them. And I bless them. And I encourage them. You run. You chase after that. God's in it for you. But God wasn't in it for, for me, for us. We've got to do what God's asking us to do. We have to find, like, what is God in, in for us? Because if all the churches in San Diego were all doing the same thing, we'd only all reach the same people. The the church, his body, is meant to be multifaceted. It's meant to have many flavors. It's meant to all look differently. Because there's there's a ton of, there's billions of people out there. And they're not all the same. We're not all cut from the same cloth. We're not all cookie cutter. So we've got to do what we feel like the Lord is in for us. So as in worship today, the Lord was speaking to me and said, living your message. It's honestly the cry of my heart as I'm standing here. All I want is you. I know we're believing for a new building and I walk around this building and I'm so thankful for it. So thankful for it. But if it burned to the ground and we had to set up a tent in the parking lot across the street and have church he was in it, that's all. I don't care. It wouldn't matter as long as he's there. Because when he shows up, everything changes and you can't explain it. You can't even reason with it. There's just something about that encounter with the presence of God. Because if he's not in it, then I don't want it. And it doesn't matter what it is. Sure, <laughs> I can tell you as a pastor, if every seat in here were filled and every seat in the balcony was filled, man, ego would feel real good. Oh, you're doing a good job. You, like, if you, if you ask any pastor, they will tell you, you measure your success by, you know, the, the people in seats. How much is the offering? That's how you measure success. 
God's not in it, then I don't want it. I just want Him. I just want Him. Because He can change and transform your life in a moment. He can do in a moment what you, you wouldn't get from me listening to 10,000 of my messages. So whenever we come together, there's always going to be this underlying current of us. We're just pointing you to Jesus. If I can get you to, to have an encounter with Jesus, then everything changes. And he changes us from the inside. And we're no longer the same. You're no longer lost or lonely or not satisfied or have no peace. Sometimes the situation doesn't change, but inside it all changes. And once the inside changes, look out. And the outside begins to change. find you in your weakest, brokest moment. That encounter with Jesus changes everything. He'll pick up all the pieces and start putting it back together. He'll give you purpose and direction. There was a time in our, early in our marriage where Renee and I were offered several ministry positions kind of all in a row. We, were, we, we didn't have uh, a pastoral position and, and we were looking and and we, were, we went to interviews, we, we flew places, we drove places in every church. They were all great. They were all incredible people, amazing opportunities. But one after the other, we, we were saying no, no, no. We turned them all down. And we had nothing. I was just working a job in a factory. And I had a pastor who was a trusted pastor. We looked up to him. He actually, he called and he said, hey, if you keep saying no, they'll stop calling you. Just take something. God wasn't in it for us. I was thinking it through. I was thinking through some of those opportunities. And if we had said yes to one of those opportunities, I don't know that I'd be standing here today. The trajectory and the course of my life would have taken me someplace different. And I can tell you with absolute certainty, this is where I'm supposed to be. That this is the best that God's got for me. Because He's here. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know this is where we're supposed to be and this is better than anything that I'd ever dreamed up. This is better because he's here. So God answered the prayer of Moses that day and he says, I will do this thing that you've asked for. And God went with the Israelites. They took the promise. They, they took, took the trip into the promise. And listen, it wasn't a smooth trip. They went around the desert a few times. They stumbled a little bit. The Israelites grumbled. An entire generation of people died in the desert. But once they finally crossed the Jordan and they finally stepped into the promised land, they got the promised land and they had God too. In the prayer room, Renee said something interesting as she was closing, as she was closing prayer. She said, in the kingdom of God, you can have your cake and eat it too. And that's, I, was, I thought to myself, I'm like, yes, that's what I'm preaching about today. Because you can have the promise and the promise maker. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can have your cake and eat it too. I'm going to tell you, the best life you can create for yourself means nothing if God's not in it. There's a ton of great human strategies to grow churches, advertising and promotions and all the stuff and programs and events. We could do all those things. I know we could grow our church. It's not going to mean a thing. The presence of God's not in it. Here's the thing. When you refuse to move without the presence of God going with us, 
you end up having both. You get the promise and the presence, but you have to refuse to move until he goes with you. If he's with you, then you go because he will lead you into the promise. And then you'll have the promise. You have all the things that have been prophesied into your life. You have all the things that you've dreamt about and wanted and craved and cried out for, and you'll have him. You get it both. As I'm telling you, we will see this building filled with people. We will see a new building built. We will see miracles, salvations, transformed lives, reconciled marriages and families. We will, listen, some of you need to hear this. We've been praying for this. We will see your entire family in church with you worshiping together. From grandparents to to, to parents to children. We are contending for the legacy of the families. When I pray for you and I pray for your family, I ask God for a revival in your family. You will sit here with your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. We will see it, but we will wait for his presence, and we will only move when he moves, because if God's not in it, I don't want it. Jesus, show us your glory, which is the next prayer that Moses prays. Show me your glory. So if you're here today, and you know about God, and you know about Jesus. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you came here and you don't know anything about anything that I've talked about today. But you're like, I want to know this God. If you're saying to yourself, I don't know Him. And you want to know Him. Just lift your hand and say, I want to know Him. We'll wait just for a moment because I don't know everybody here. And I don't know your situation. And you need to know, it doesn't matter how long you've attended this church. If you don't know him, this is your chance. Slip your hand up and say, I want to know him. It's going to change everything. Do you know him? I want to pray for you, but I want to challenge you before I pray for you. Each one of us has had God do something in our lives. We've experienced, we've encountered Him, seen change and transformation, incredible things. I'm very confident that we all know somebody that could use a God encounter and a transformation in their life. So my challenge to you is think of somebody that you could bring with you, that you could invite. Coming into Christmas season, I mean, there's there's people that they go to church Christmas and Easter and they're just looking for a place to go. And so a text message or a phone call said, hey, would you like to come to church with me? They say it's like 80% of people will go to church if they're just invited. 
So that's my challenge. Between now and the end of the year, invite someone to come to church with you. Friend, family, coworker, rando person walking down the street. Ask them if they want to come to church. And then in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to give you some, some invite cards for our Christmas Eve service. And it's just an easier way. You can slide this to somebody, waitress at a, or a server at a restaurant, and be like, here, come to church on Christmas Eve. That's my challenge. But if you would say this morning, all I want is him. If you would say, since God's not in it, that I don't want it, that I want to pray for you. And I want you to stand. And there's no, listen, there's no manipulation or guilt or condemnation. Here's the cry of your heart is, Jesus, all I want is you. And if you're not in it, it doesn't matter what it is, then I don't want it. Then stand. God, here we are. It's your people standing before you. Situation's not, ex- not, not exactly the same, but the prayer is. If you don't go with us, then don't move us up from this place. Because Jesus, all we want is you and your presence and your glory. It's you. Show us your ways that we might know your face. want you to look at us and say, that's my friend. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's relationship. God, would you, would you do it again? Would you pour out your spirit? This outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God, for not just us as a church, but for us as individuals, would you do it again in their life? Would you lead them into the God opportunities and would you close the doors of good opportunities? May they recognize your voice. May they see your hand. May the cry of their hearts be, God, if you're not in it, I don't want it. It doesn't matter how good it looks. We trust you. We trust you. You are the author, the perfecter, the finisher, the architect of our faith and of our lives, and we trust you. We are in the process. We will not short-circuit the process. We just want you. God, if you're not in it, if you're not in the new job, then I don't want it. If you're not in the new house, then I don't want it. If you're not in the the influence and the the notoriety, then, then we don't want it. All I want is you. All I want is you. All I want is you. Well, tell him with your own words. Oh, Jesus, all I want is you. I want to see your face. Show me your glory. God, I want to encounter you. I want to know you. I want you to change me from the inside out. Jesus, we want you. And above that, we need you. We are desperate for you, God. Thank you.